0: Welcome to the audio sermons of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We hope you are encouraged by listening. For more information, please feel free to browse our site at www.sbrpc.org. And uh, welcome and happy Easter. Uh, we're thankful to have you with us this morning, whether you're a member or a guest, to celebrate um, Jesus's resurrection um, and uh, this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at one of the resurrection stories in the gospel that comes from John chapter 20 verses 24 through 31 this, this story that I'm about to read for us um, it, it's it took place one week after Jesus's resurrection because one of the disciples Thomas, wasn't with the other disciples a week prior to this in order to see the resurrected uh, Jesus. And so this is an account of when Thomas met the resurrected Jesus. Um, So let me read John 20, 24 through 31, and then I'll pray for us. And then we'll talk about why this is an important passage for us to think through today. Uh, So let's give our attention to God's Holy Word. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails... Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever and ever. Let's go before him now and ask for his help this morning. Our gracious Father, we pray this morning that you would show us yourself that we indeed, Christian or not, would find ourselves this morning believing as Thomas did and falling before your feet to cry out, my Lord and my God, and to know the joy and the freedom of your love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Thomas, in this passage, and I think for years and years, um, I think he gets a bad rap um, because because of this story, he's often referred to as uh, Doubting Thomas. Maybe you grew up hearing about Doubting Thomas, but I, today I want to make a case for why I think it's really unfair to label Thomas in that regard and, and why it would be better to call him Believing Thomas. Um, you know, the simple question why is. Is hugely important. You know, when you have young kids um, and you're at the end of a long day of work um, and you come home and maybe your kid brings you their homework and needs some help and it's a question about math or grammar or maybe a science question and you're so tired, it is very tempting to just Give your kids the answers, right? Um, the answer is forty-seven. Um, now leave me alone. Uh, you know it, it, that's an adverb. Uh, done. Move on to the next one. Uh, the answer is condensation. Whatever. Um, sometimes you want to give them the answer, and no judgment here. I want you to know that I have done that many a time. Now that my kids are older, I don't understand their homework, so they don't ask me uh, <laughs> any questions. But you know, if if you do have a child, and you know that's your experience, then bringing your homework to ask you things, um, you know that if they're going to really learn the material, um, you you have to ask a lots of why questions. You know, okay, why did you subtract instead of add there? Um, why do you why do you think that's an adjective and not? an adverb why does water condense on the outside of a glass something like that why 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 you're you're teaching them to work the problem because we want them to learn uh not just to have the right answer on their paper but to know how to think and um and to do that they have to understand the why questions you know john chapter 20 is the story of thomas questioning the reality of the resurrection and then of jesus appearing to him and i want us to ask and answer the why question up front today so just think with me about this why did john share this story about thomas with us why at the end very end of our passage you see it in verses 30 and 31 john is giving us um, the purpose statement for his entire book. Um, and, and if you look at it, you see he basically wrote, I could have told you so many more stories about Jesus, but I included the stories I did because so that, verse 31, so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I don't know if you know this or not, but. If you read through John's Gospel, John's Gospel only covers about 21 days of Jesus's life. That's it, right? And and John is telling you, I'm not trying to write an exhaustive biography of Jesus. He's saying, I was extremely intentional and selective in the stories I told, the stories I shared, I shared so that you would believe, okay? So think, why did John put this story about Thomas right at the point that he's telling us he wrote everything down he wrote so that we would believe? He doesn't wanna tell us how Thomas doubted is what I'm saying. He wants to show us and tell us how Thomas believed, right? Connected to his purpose statement, John was lifting Thomas up to say, this is my greatest example of how to believe and how to find life in Jesus. You know, whether you're a Christian and you need to go on believing, or you aren't sure if you believe this morning, or if you're skeptical and you feel like you can't believe. Um, I want us together to see what Thomas teaches us about how to believe. So there are three things I want us to learn from this story about how to believe, and hopefully they'll be practical for us. So first, he's showing us you have to show up. And second, he's telling us you have to get real before Jesus. And third, he's saying you have to submit to Jesus. You have to show up, you have to get real and you have to submit. So first let's talk about you have to show up. So Thomas wasn't with the other disciples a week earlier when Jesus, the resurrected Jesus had appeared to them. But even with all of his questions, even with all of his doubts, this story is saying he still showed up a week later. You know, it, it, it's easy to fall into the trap of what C.S. Lewis termed chronological snobbery, right? Which is, you know, well, of course, those guys believed in things like miracles and a resurrection and all, all that kind of stuff. They were, they were so primitive, so un- unsophisticated, so superstitious back then. But I want you to really think that through. Out of Thomas's 11 closest friends, 11 out of 11 of them, came to Thomas and said, Jesus is alive. We saw him. And Thomas basically said, what are you smoking? You're all crazy, right? Only if I could stick my finger into the nail prints in his hand and put my hand into his side would I believe anything that ridiculous. Thomas wasn't looking for a resurrection. He didn't have a category for a resurrection, and neither did anyone else, right? What about Thomas's 11 friends? Do you remember what happened when they heard about Jesus' resurrection? Because the story goes like this. Women went to anoint Jesus' body at the tomb, and he wasn't there. And when they came back and told these disciples, the, these disciples that, that Jesus had risen, this is what it says in Luke 24. It says that the disciples thought it was an idle tale and did not believe them. You know, they were saying this, that foolishness. It's crazy talk. Until they saw Jesus himself, they thought it was ridiculous too, no one absolutely no one was looking for a resurrection. Thomas and his friends were just like us. So Thomas basically said, there's no way I'm gonna believe that. And I know I'm making a little bit of an inference here, but I can't think of another way to account for verse 26 of this passage, which says eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. I mean, Thomas said, no way I'm going to believe that. And I think his friends must have said something like, okay, that's fine. Just come hang out with us on Sunday and see what happens. He was struggling with his doubts. He did not believe. He thought it was ridiculous. But he showed up. He showed up. And when he showed up, he met the resurrected Jesus. Here's my point and the point of this passage, Thomas showed up in community. He wasn't off by himself, right? When he met Jesus, and this is a huge point, a huge point in the whole Bible. You and I need community. We were made for it. We were meant to process and work through the claims of Jesus among friends. Right, in relationships, in community with one another to believe for the first time or to process through your doubts or to just go on believing, you have to show up. You have to show up. And look, let's, let's be honest about a few things here. There are some really, really hard things to believe in Christianity. Okay. We believe in a triune God, one God in three persons, equal in power and glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I cannot explain that mystery to you. I can't, but it's right at the heart of Christianity. You know, here's another one. Christianity offers simultaneously a more pessimistic and a more optimistic view Of humanity than any other worldview that exists. Even our righteousness, the Bible says, needs to be repented of. It's filthy rags. And at the same time as it says that, it says we are made in the very image and likeness of God. And one day, someday, you will be made perfect and you will rule over all things with Jesus. That's hard to believe. Here's another one that might apply for today especially we believe that right now somewhere in some dimension that I cannot fully explain there is a resurrected Jesus with a physical body that has nail prints in his hands and in his side right there are difficult things to believe in Christianity and God made us to process through these things in relationship with one another in community Showing up in community, it isn't just the entry point into Christianity or into belief in Jesus. It's also the way to go on believing. You know, the author of Hebrews wrote, let us not give up meeting together. You know what he's saying? Let's not stop showing up together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching so i want to encourage you to keep showing up to keep showing up to to believing to struggling to unbelieving no matter where you are you know there have been i'll just speak personally there's been a lot of times in my life where i have found it very very hard to believe and i've lost sight of the death and resurrection of jesus and how to apply it to my life And there are other times I believed it intellectually, but I was struggling experientially in my life with fear and disappointment and hurt and anxiety and lack of assurance and all kinds of things. And I've needed others at times just to show up with me, to believe when I found it too hard to believe myself. Right? You and I need friends who will embrace us and sing songs with us and pray the prayers with us, and believe with us, and weep with us, and rejoice with us. Friends who love you enough to say you're struggling, you don't believe, I get it, that's okay. That's fine, come hang out with us. Show up. Do you think your fears, your questions, your anger, your skepticism are too big for God to handle? He has given you a community to process through it, but you do have to show up. You have to show up. We got to move on, but I can imagine some, um, thinking that's fine and everything, but church (laughs) is the last place I want to show up regularly with my brokenness, with my questions, with my fears, with my struggles, and I'm trying, and I get it. Most of us in this room get it, because the church has often failed to be a community that welcomes you to show up as you are with all your questions and doubts and fears. So second, I really do kind of want to talk about the kind of community that's, that this church is meant to be so second if you're going to believe you have to get real and by that what i mean is you have to be open and honest about your junk about your mess about your disbelief about your sin about your brokenness and with no defensiveness and with no blame shifting and with no spin and that's terrifying, right? Try to put yourself in Thomas shoes for just a moment here. Imagine you had privately said to your friends what Thomas said in verse 25. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So imagine you had said that to your friends privately And then Jesus showed up and one of the first things he said to you was Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. And if you're putting yourself in Thomas's shoes, I bet you would feel really uncomfortable at that moment because you'd be thinking, how did he know what I told my friends? last week in private it it would be that feeling like one of your parents just snatched your phone away and started scrolling through your text messages or like your husband got a recording of your conversation when you went out to supper on your girls night out last week right because what would be dawning on you As you stood there with your mouth open would would be something like this jesus knows me inside and out he's been watching me and he knows everything i've been saying and thinking and doing there are no secrets that i can keep from jesus he knows every question Every bit of confusion, every doubt, every suspicion, every fear, every little thing about me. And here's what I'm saying. In that moment, Thomas was completely exposed. And I want you to notice this. He didn't try to explain his doubts away. You know, I was busy last week when you showed up. It wasn't, it's not my fault. He didn't try to pin it on someone else like, turn from Jesus to his other friends and say, who ratted me out? Right? He got real before Jesus because he had no other option. He realized no matter what he said or thought or did, Jesus knew him inside and out to the very bottom of his soul. And when that's the case, and I'm trying to tell you, it is the case for each and every one of us in this room. And when that's the case, the only course of sanity before Jesus is to get real and honest and drop the defenses to say, yep, that's me. I demanded those things before I would believe. I didn't believe. I wouldn't believe. I refused to believe. And by the way, Thomas is saying, I didn't just doubt what my friends said. I mean, because Jesus throughout his life kept telling them and making references to the day that he would rise from the dead. And Thomas is having to say, Jesus, in the depths of my soul, I questioned everything about you and everything you said. Now, what if the church of all places was a place that was safe for you to get that real before Jesus? As Brennan Manning put it, you know, what if it was okay that you aren't okay? Here's a secret that needs to not be a secret. This is who we are. This room is full of people who are not okay, needing Jesus to make it okay that we're not okay. What if that was your experience of community? Thomas was exposed, but it was safe for him to be exposed. And it was safe for him to get real before Jesus. It was okay for him not to be okay. Author Gordon MacDonald, he wrote about a time that he spent investigating um, Alcoholics Anonymous, by attending regularly an open meeting of AA. And one thing he kept coming back to in his article was this question, and the question was this, what if, what if the church could exhibit and practice grace like that? McDonald wrote, I often left AA meetings deeply moved, sometimes in tears. I left feeling I'd I'd been with people who were dealing with soul level issues. For them, this hour was about life and death. And something in my soul resonated with the honesty of the group. There was not an ounce of judgment in the circle, just openness. Everything was on the table. He shared this story from one of the meetings that he attended, and it's best for me just to read it to you, it's very brief. Um, This is what he writes. One morning, Kathy, I guessed her age at 35, joined us for the first time. One look at her face caused me to conclude that she must have been Hollywood beautiful at 21. Now her face swollen. Her eyes red, her teeth rotting, her hair looked unwashed, uncombed for who knows how long. I've been in five states in the past month, she said. I've slept under bridges on several nights, been arrested, raped, robbed, now weeping, I don't know what to do. I don't want to be homeless anymore, but I can't stop drinking, I can't, I can't. Next to Kathy was a rather large woman, Marilyn, sober for more than a dozen years. She reached with both arms toward Kathy and pulled her close. And I was close enough to hear Marilyn speak quietly into Kathy's ear. Honey, you're gonna be okay. You're with us now. And we can deal with this together. All you have to do is keep coming. Do you hear me? Keep coming. And then Marilyn kissed the top of Kathy's head and throughout the article McDonald kept asking "Gosh, what if what if the church could exhibit and practice grace like this and listen I'm not I'm not trying to make any kind of an argument for AA that's not my point I'm asking what McDonald was asking what if the church could exhibit and practice grace like that because we of all people should have the market cornered on grace. What if we South Baton Rouge could more and more become a place where the failing, the broken, the disillusioned, the hurt, the doubting, the anger could come and clearly hear, you're gonna be okay. You're with us now and we can deal with this together. What if we worked hard To make this a place like that, where it is so safe for everyone to get real because it's okay that you're not okay, a place where pretense and pretending were more and more fading away. And there was space and freedom to get real before Jesus. That's the kind of community. And I don't, I don't even need to say it out loud, but I'm going to say it anyway that is the kind of community and you know if you experience that it would transform your life it would because you have to get real before jesus in order to be able to believe this incredible news that it's okay that you're not okay and to do that and to more and more become that kind of community i know it's scary i know it's risky i know it's easy to say these things but it's really, really hard to do because it requires real vulnerability. But let me end this point by asking this. What do you have to lose? What, what do we have to lose if Jesus already knows us inside and out? And there's nothing we can hide. And he knows us to the very bottom of our soul. And he cannot be surprised by your sin and your brokenness and your disbelief. And he welcomes you in by his grace. What do you have to lose? Absolutely nothing. To become a great believer like Thomas, you have to get real before Jesus. All right, last thing about how to believe like Thomas. Last, you have to submit. As soon as Thomas was exposed before Jesus, Thomas' response I wanna show you was full, total, and complete submission verse 28 thomas answered jesus my lord and my god did you catch what happened or better yet let me phrase it like this did you catch in the reading of the story what did not happen jesus said i know what you're thinking here go ahead and touch the nail prints and put your hand in my sign side and the thing that Thomas said he had to do in order to believe and then he didn't do it. No mention of Jesus uh, of Thomas touching Jesus's hands or his side. And I think the reason Thomas didn't do it is actually in his confession, my Lord and my God. See, Thomas was realizing that he had placed conditions on God for his belief. Something like this. I'll believe you if. And we do a version of that all the time. Jesus, I'll believe you if you can get me out of this mess. Jesus, I'll follow you As long as following you doesn't interfere with my plans and my goals for my life and the way I think things should go. Jesus, I'll obey you if you give my family security, if you help me get ahead, if you improve my reputation. We want to use Jesus and climb up on his shoulders to reach the real desires of our hearts, the things that we're really worshiping. And deep down, we're often saying if if i could just get that jesus if jesus would just give me that if he would make that go away if he would fix that well then i would have life and then i could rest and then my life would be full of joy and then i would believe and this is why thomas is an is john's example of a great believer because he dropped all of his conditions at jesus's feet and he took his hands off of his life and he submitted He said, Jesus, you're not here to do my bidding. You are Lord and you are God. You are king of kings. You are the master of the entire universe. And so he let go of his conditions to grab hold of and submit to Jesus and nothing else. And all that's true, but I think something's missing. Um, I mean, if all that's true, and it is you've got to show up you've got to get real you have to drop all your conditions at Jesus' feet and submit but but that's a terrifying prospect And it's going to stay a terrifying prospect to you until until Jesus becomes beautiful to you personally There is one little syllable in this passage that changes everything. It's the little personal pronoun, my. Listen to Thomas' confession. My Lord and my God. What Thomas saw standing in front of him, it wasn't just a theological Or doctrinal truth for him to assent to. Yes, Jesus is Lord and God, check, check. When Thomas came to, what Thomas came to grasp when he showed up with his friends and when he got real before Jesus was something very personal. You know what that is? He was looking at a wounded God, at a God who had been pierced. At a God who had spilt his blood until his heart stopped beating for Thomas, for you. Martin Luther wrote, be careful to learn this definition and especially this pronoun. Believe this one syllable and it will swallow up all your sins. That is, you may know for certain that Christ has taken away not just other people's sins, but yours. When you can apply the personal pronoun to Jesus, my Lord, my God, then the real ultimate beauty will break upon you and you will find the real freedom of submission. Freedom to show up in community, to get real, and to drop all your conditions. My favorite quote by uh, the theologian John Stott comes uh, from his book, The Cross of Christ. And he says this, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, and that is what this world is. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? That lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged into God-forsaken darkness. And John Stott says, That is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain and entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death, and suffered for us. And that's what Thomas saw when he saw the resurrected Jesus. He showed up, he got real, and he submitted to a God who so loved him that He came to remove the sting of death in His own death. A God who removed the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He saw a God who laid aside His immunity to pain, was wounded for us personally, and really, the resurrection of Jesus from the grave, that is the receipt. The receipt that says, All your debt has been paid in full, and death has been swallowed up in victory. The resurrected Jesus appeared in that room with locked doors and looked at his disciples. And what was the very first thing he said to his disciples? Verse 26, peace be with you. Peace. Translation, it's okay that you're not okay because I died for you, and I rose from the dead for you, and death has been swallowed up in victory, and you are free, and that truth, not abstract, but real and personal, when its beauty captures your heart, it will change you and transform your life from the inside out. And it will fill you with awe and wonder and turn you into a worshiper that falls at Jesus' feet to say, my Lord and my God, will you believe like Thomas? And if you don't today, I want you to hear me saying, that's okay. That's okay. But will you come back like Thomas did? And will you keep showing up? to find a place where it's safe to be real and to submit and drop your conditions. Jesus died for you and he has risen for you indeed. And he stands to welcome you in his love and his grace. Let's pray together. Our gracious heavenly father Pause for a moment after looking at your word together to marvel at your goodness, at your love, at your mercy that you sent into this world, your only begotten son, and you sent him into this world in order that he would live the life we should have lived, but could not live, and die the death we should have died in order that in him we might be welcomed into your love and grace to know that all our debts have been paid in full and that we have been clothed with the very righteousness of Jesus which gives us the confidence to come before you even now and call you our father and to delight in your delighting in us through your son, Jesus. Father, today and coming days and weeks and months and years. Father, we pray that you would make us like Thomas, that we would show up, that we would get real before you and that we would fall at your feet in all And wonder at all you have done for us and submit to you and to your love. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Thank you for listening to this audio sermon of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. Please feel free to pass it along to others who might be encouraged by this message. Also, if you have any questions or would like to know more about the church or a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, please feel free to browse our website at www.sbrpc.org or contact the church office directly at area code 225-768-9999. Again, thank you for listening.